Thank you. Here's an equal opportunity ailment that we all have. It comes in a variety of shapes and sizes and comes with a number of noises of all things, from snorts and grunts to pleas, prayers, shouts, maybe even curses. Of course, no one here in this room today uh, does anything like that at any point in time, do they? This ailment is no respecter of age. It has no regard for social status. It can attack the highest position in the land to the lowliest of servants. No one is immune to the snare, for lack of a better way to put it, of patience. Maybe more specifically, the lack of patience. We all know the old prayer. Maybe we could even call this a national prayer. Maybe even a worldwide prayer. Who knows? Lord, give me patience. But... Give it to me right now. Come on, that was at least a little bit funny. Give me a break. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Okay, here is an understatement. We are an impatient people, aren't we? This statistic is a few years old now, but according to one source that I found, and and these are getting fewer and fewer, and I know why, the annual cost of people running red lights, the fines that folks pay is over $7 billion a year. My opinion, it ought to be a whole lot more than that. The average time saved running a red light, you ever thought about that? Look at your, look at your watch at some point in time after some joker in front of you runs that left turn signal, okay, because nobody knows the red light up there doesn't mean for them. Or running that red light five seconds after it changes, that's not for them. They're in a hurry. Their time's important. Yours is not. But check it sometime. You will find that the average is about 50 seconds. 50 seconds. Now, some may be longer. Some may be shorter. But that's going to be the average here. Even if it was from beginning to end, only about that amount of time. Stop signs. (laughs) all to get somewhere less than 10 seconds faster. We are cramming more and more stuff to do into less and less time to get it done. Perhaps there's a direct correlation to the stress and pressure of trying to do too much in too little time and the degree of impatience that we feel in our lives. If I'm feeling like there's just too much to do and too little time to do it, I am going to look for every possible shortcut that I can to be able to find the time and what I think should be enough time to get done what I need to do. And don't get in my way. But I want to ask you a question. Just, just I'm going to throw this out and we're going to move on. But if you look at the history of the church... Look at the the church fathers that helped develop the church over time. And it's still developing. As we say in Reformed circles, we're Reformed but still Reforming. If you look, though, at the beginning of the church some 2,000 years ago, all the way up to now, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like we have come this far by taking shortcuts to get the church to develop the way we think it ought to? 
I sincerely do not think so. Now let's move on. If you look at verse 22, you're going to find some things here that perhaps we can agree that that we have what we need to be able to live a Christian life. You may feel like you've got no problem showing love and being loved in return. Maybe you have ample joy in your life. Maybe the peace you know in your existence is about as good as it can possibly get right now. The harmony that you have in your life with others is exemplary. Everything is just going smooth. If the truth be made known, you wouldn't or you couldn't ask for any more of the fruits of the Spirit, except maybe one, patience. 20th century theologian John Stott stated that the fruits of the Spirit could be separated into three groups. Listen to this. Love, joy, and peace speak of our attitude toward God. Patience, kindness, and goodness speak of our attitude toward others. And lastly, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control reflect attitudes concerning ourselves. While we could argue several aspects that could speak to attitudes other than the way Stott put them, I mean, we can always dice these up any way you want to, but I think we can at least see somewhat or at least be able to somewhat of agree that this is not a bad way to approach them. But put uh, this way, we can, we can look at our patients regarding others and seek answers to three basic questions. Question number one, what is patience? You ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to define patience? Not so much in your life, but just a general, uh, general definition. One definition of patience is the power of suffering with fortitude, not complaining about suffering, evil, or wrong. Here is, I think, a better definition. Listen. The act or power of calmly or contentedly waiting for something due or hoped for. Or in other words, Perseverance. If we simply took the word patience out of the scriptures, we're going to see that particular word about 59 times throughout the scriptures. However, this is one of the more complex words in Greek because of the many facets that patience contains. Let's look at some of those. We're going to look at three basic words, though, that rather than to try to run every facet down, we're going to give you some Three basic definitions here from the Greek. First is the Greek word which means to hold up or bear with. The word is aneko, A-N-E-C-H-O, like saying there's aneko over there, but it's kind of different. This comes from, (laughs) same but different, I mean, you know. This comes from base words up and hold. An example From the scriptures, Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with a humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for love, for love, another in love. That verse says a lot about patience just in and of itself. Tolerance is another definition of patience. To bear with someone or something. That is an echo. A-N-E-C-H-O. Let's look at another word. Another word for the, in the Greek is hupomone. H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. It comes from two base words, which are under and abide. 
English Standard in the, uh, the Bible speaks uh, of James 1, 3, and 4, and it gives us somewhat of an application for the word. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its perfect result, so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another word for steadfastness, endurance. Patience here is this passage is reflected through the word endurance or steadfastness, perseverance. Those are some of the words that can define what patience is. The idea here is that it's patience that bears up under a load and provides steadfastness in the midst of life's battles. It's this patience that lets a person be able to endure the challenges that life throws at us at times without us giving up or, or admitting defeat. It allows us to take that one more step before we decide to call it quits. It's a matter of hanging tough when circumstances seem almost insurmountable. Hence, perseverance. Third word in the Greek, and this is an interesting word in its definition, is makrothumi or makrothumai. I'm not sure how that works. Anyway, it's M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I. Makrothumi or makrothumai. This means, macro means slow. Thumi means anger. Put them together, what do you got? means what it sounds like, being slow to anger. I used to pride myself about letting things slide off my back. But it seems the older that I get and the older I have gotten, it's hard for me to keep my composure at times, especially when I'm driving. And thankfully, there's very, very few people in this world who have ever been in a car with me and have seen my, let's say, not-so-good side there. I had a lady tell you a quick story. A lady lived when I lived in Florida. Yeah, you're one of them. Uh, there's the other. Anyway, I had a lady in Florida, and uh, we were going to go up to Orlando to visit one of our ladies who was in the hospital there, and I had to take Andy, my grandson, her son, uh, to school over in uh, Lake Wales. And we're driving up 17, and all of a sudden, I didn't realize I was doing anything, but all of a sudden, she turns to my, my uh, grandson and says, is he like this all the time? What had happened was there was a lady who was driving along 17 on the way to Babson Park doing about 20 miles an hour under the speed limit. I detest people driving that slow. People that slow ought not to have driver's licenses. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't be driving. They, are, they could be walking and going just as fast, almost. Anyway, that's how I get kind of annoyed with, with slow drivers. But I'll bet you one thing. I'll bet you I'm not the only one in here that feels that way. The opposite of being slow to anger, though, is, is, is having a short fuse, let's say, Okay. Now, know anyone that, that, that's that way that you would think has a short fuse that just flies off at the, the sign of first sign of anything? There's a lot of people like that as well. But this is another way of looking at the word patience. It's not so much about hanging in or hanging tough 
under difficult situations. It's not necessarily about keeping an even or a calm demeanor when we're facing many obstacles. This is simply about being slow to anger just under normal circumstances. Being slow to fly off the handle. Not letting the moment get the better of you. Man was busy in a grocery store one, one day and he was picking up groceries and he happened to get behind a young mama and her little girl who was riding in the cart. They were going all in the same direction, seemed like every aisle. They were, he was always behind her. But he began to listen to what the little girl was saying to her mama. They got to the cookie aisle and the little, the little girl began to whine. I'm hungry. I want a cookie. The mom patiently said, now, Missy, we're, we're halfway done. It won't be much longer. Same thing happened in the candy aisle as the man stood behind them. The mom and the little girl he heard the little girl just get a little bit louder in this case. I'm hungry. I want some candy. The mom said gently, calmly, now, now, Missy, only two more aisles to go and we're home free. They all get to the checkout line at the same time. Little girl screams at the top of her lungs, I want some chewing gum now! The mom quietly said, Missy, we're going to be out of the line in just a minute. Everything is going to be fine. Hold on. We'll get home and you can have a good nap. What do you say? Well, the gentleman was really impressed by this whole thing. So as they're going out, you know, strangely enough, he's right behind her as they're going out into the parking lot. So he goes up to her. He feels compelled to compliment this mom on what she has just done. Ma'am, I couldn't help but notice just how patient you were with little Missy. I commend you. You did a great job in there. The mother replied, well, I, I do appreciate the kind words, but my little girl's name's actually Francine. I'm Missy. <laughs> what? Everybody get that? <laughs> Whatever gets you through a trying time, I suppose. We've briefly looked at what patience is. The second question is, is where does patience come from? Where does our patience originate? The Bible distinctly tells us that patience comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from ourselves. Now, stating that, does that mean that Christians have the market cornered on patience? Certainly not. It does mean, though, with God's help, the characteristics presented in Galatians 5 should be part of every Christian's life. They should be what, what helps us to, to stand out away from the rest of the world, to be separate and apart from the rest of the world, to be in the world but not be of the world. Let me tell you another interesting thought here. The reason that we can get our patience from God is because He's got the cor a market cornered on patience. You ever thought about that one? When, when you look at the stories of the Bible... You can see how God time and again, uh, His time and His method of operation is so different than ours. And when our timetable and the method of operation is different than God's, and we listen to and act on what we want to do in our time, in our way, 
and not God's, bad things usually are going to happen. Look at Abraham, Genesis chapter 15 and on. God promises Abraham a son at the age of 75. At this one point, Abraham had no children. And here God is telling him that he was going to be the father, not only of one, but of an entire nation. His offspring were going to be more than the sands of the sea. At 75, Abraham's going, huh, wonder how that's going to happen. Anyway, though, God just kept telling Abraham, be patient. You are going to be the father of a nation if you will just listen to me and be patient. Abraham wanted, I mean, he really wanted what he wanted. And that was a son. But like us, he wanted results in his time and not God's time. He didn't trust that God would provide. Yet God, at just the right time, provided Abraham and Sarah with that son, Isaac. Part of the problem here was that because of that lack of trust in God's plan, because Abraham kept getting in the way of what God wanted for him so badly, God had to show Abraham patience. Not Abraham's patience. Abraham had to learn God's patience. He doesn't work at our speed. He works at the speed of God. We want it yesterday. We live in a world of instant gratification. God says, in due time, in my time. There are other stories of of God's uh, patience as opposed to ours. There are times, we have stories of that timing that just does not happen overnight. Think back a minute with Abraham. How long did it take for Abraham's child to be born? Isaac, at least, anyway. It was 25 years. And on top of that, he was 100 years old when he became a father. Think about that, you know? Anyway, Abraham's seed did not just develop overnight as we would think either, did it? The people going from slavery to the promised land because of their lack of trust in God took much longer than it should have. And we know the first generation of Israel never even made it to the promised land after years before they had been promised. But why was that? They didn't believe in God's plan. They didn't want it in in God's time. They wanted it in their own time. And they complained about everything under the sun until they got there. Forty years later. Forty years rather than just a few weeks as it should have been and could have been had they not been so impatient. But they wanted it their way. So can you see why God has to be incredibly patient with us? Look at one verse, Isaiah 40. Verse 31, it's a great reminder to us. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. He should be the source of our patience. Again, I go back to the question from 2,000 years ago up till now. Church fathers, developers, organizers, whatever you want to call it, of the church. 
that day clear on up to today. Do you think that those people were successful by doing things within their own time slots rather than listening to God, praying about what He wanted with His church and planning it accordingly? Certainly they did it in God's time. And you look how it's developed over the years. If we'd have done it in our own way, our own time, I dare say the church wouldn't have lasted 200 years. And yet, there were enough wise men to see that God's way was the right way. Lastly, how does patience work? How does it work in your life and in mine? We live by the clock. We time ourselves to go faster and faster, don't you? If you lag, you lose. Dale Earnhardt once said, if you go second fastest, it means you're first loser. Think about that. Now, <laughs> that's how we look at things, right? I- I've said this before half-jokingly, but you know who I blame all this for? Our, 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 this thing that we have for speed? I blame Polaroid. Think about that. Uh, yeah. You think about it. 65 years ago, uh, ago or so. Think about how we, uh, up until not too long ago, think about how we used to have pictures developed. You'd take it to your drugstore and you'd wait a week after you finish that roll of film and then you don't even remember what's on there. You take it, you have it developed, and maybe a week later, right, they'll call you up so you can come get your pictures. Polaroid comes along. 60 seconds, I got my picture, baby. I don't need to wait. Now look at it. Oh, you look at here. You got it immediately, right? It's faster than 60 seconds. That makes that look antiquated. So you see what we've done? We've encouraged ourselves to get faster and faster and faster. We always have to be somewhere doing something at some point. Preset time. We have to set our TVs for an appropriate time because we're not going to be home or we're not going to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch some cooking show. Time dictates our lives in one way or another. We have to-do lists for days and weeks. We have bucket lists for our lives. And yet to-do lists, while serving a good purpose at times, will oftentimes get in the way of what is truly, truly important. Like desiring to be a good friend or a good spouse or a good son or daughter or a good parent. Like the best follower of Jesus Christ that we can be. We can't put that on a to-do list. We can't put that on a bucket list. We're going to get to it next year. Is it, will it be a New Year's resolution to be a better Christian this year? How many, how many weeks does a, a New Year's resolution normally last? If you're lucky, you get through January, and that's about it. No, we have got to do, we've got to do a better job of being patient in things that really matter, in the things that pertain to our lives and to the world. A lady once said it wouldn't be hard to be patient if it weren't for other people. And yet we learn about patience by dealing with other people, don't we? It's through giving time and space to others that we would want to have that we learn about patience. 
It means counting to ten before we explode. It means allowing God to be patient with others just as we would want them to be patient with us. Now I'm preaching and I've stretched myself in terms of patience because that is not, I repeat, not my strong suit. But you and I have the opportunity to show the world, maybe just the community of Rock Hill, perhaps maybe the surrounding area, even where you live. All of those that we come in contact with, wherever you are, what patience in God's eyes looks like. Think about that. But you know what? We've got to rely on God to get us there. We must tap into his unlimited source of patience because we cannot do it on our own. So the next time a red light or a stop sign gets in your way, remember you may have just missed a deadly accident. When a child or a young person doesn't do things in the way you think they should do it in the time that you think that they should do it, remember when you were young. When a person walks a little too slowly in front of you, and may the Lord help me on this one, drives a little too slow in front of me for my own good, remember, they may have already learned a huge lesson concerning patience in that aspect of life. And you happen to be the beneficiary. They're practicing what taking it easy, what being patient is really all about. And lastly, when you get ready to pray, Lord, give me patience, but give it to me now. Think about Abraham. Think about the Israelites. Had God been able to work in the time frame without their interference, just in those two lessons alone, think how much faster God's blessings would have been poured out upon them. Think of how much time they actually wasted because they thought they could do it faster and better than God. Or they simply didn't trust in the plan that he had for them in his timing and his plan. You know what? They couldn't do it any better. You know what? Neither can we. This morning I'll make a deal with you. Show others more patience in the week ahead. Patience that you would like for them to show to you if the shoe was on the other foot. Consider that patience and the mercy that God has shown us through His Son. I'll give it my best. Be patient. Let's just see how God blesses us together as He'll see the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, lesson I don't like. Lesson, I had a hard time as I was preparing this sermon because I kept being reminded of all the impatience that I have in my life. But I imagine I'm not the only one. So this morning, I ask you if you would, would you bless each of us with a new desire to be patient with others, with those that we know and love, even with those that we don't know? Guide us, would you? Continue to strengthen us, but continue to provide us with perhaps one of the most important spiritual fruits that we need to show the world that we are a child of yours. And that's patience. Bless us to that end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, let's look at the catechism question for today. That's question number three. The question is, how many persons are there in God? The answer, there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. We now have the opportunity, the privilege, to come to the table to be able to share in that miraculous meal, to be able to look at the elements that have been given us, the bread and the wine, to be able to understand just a little bit more fully exactly what the Lord has done in our lives, both individually and as the church. You look back at the history of the institution of the supper, and you see that it goes back into the days before Christ's death. But it was done in order to prepare His people, His followers, His brothers and sisters. He prepared them for what was to come ahead, even was 24 hours later with Him. But from then on, and He reminds them in this, He's very pointed in this, if you'll, if you'll notice that each time we do it, we do it in remembrance of Him. That is through a, a, a method of worship, that we worship God for that love that He gave us through His Son. We remember that through these elements. We're able to, to think back to the tree, as, as we heard in the song this morning, as Stephen and Erica did so well with, the tree that He was nailed to. We need to remember that. Why? Because our sins... We're on his shoulders at that time. You're crazy. You weren't even born, man, elder. You're old, but you ain't that old. And yet, he knew every one of us. He has known us since the beginning of time. Before time began, he knew us. So when he went to that tree, number one, he did it willingly. But number two, he knew us. We were in his mind when he died. The bread represents his body. The blood or the, the wine, the grape juice represents his blood given and shed for each one of us. So when we come to the table this morning, we should all be sad, right? We should all be, oh, what have I done? No. He did this willingly. He did this for our good. He did this so that we might have life. Now I ask you, is that something to be sad about? Eternal life? Is that to be something maudlin about? Well, you may think differently than I do, but I don't think it is. I think we ought to come in here joyous. I think we ought to rejoice in what he's done for us. I think we ought to bask in the glow of his love when we come to this table. He made all the difference in the world for us. And the table is offered to you and me, to those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, who are professing members of the church of Jesus Christ. Not of Hill City Church, but of the church of Jesus Christ. And so today, that opportunity that we have, the table that's not ours, 
It belongs to Christ. He is the one that can offer that invitation to us. And he says, come. If you believe in what I have done for you. If you can celebrate that. If you can believe that. If you can live that. If you can go out and show the world that you're mine. Come to the table. Come and be a part of this meal. We come together as community. We commune together as in unity. And so, if you're not a Christian today, or if you're having difficulties, if there's some issue that is going on that you need to talk about, that you just don't feel like that this is the time or the place for you to come to this table, come, but don't partake. We can talk about it after worship. You're here today. That's a good thing. It shows that you're not closing Christ out. I want to read words of institution, and then we'll pray. Words of institution come from the book of Mark today. This is chapter 14. It's very simple, as Mark writings always were. But he says this, and as they were eating, it took, they took bread, or he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Matthew, I think, says that I will drink it with you. That's a great promise. He's waiting for us. He's done his part, now we need to do ours. But it's through grace that we are able to come. This is a means of grace. This allows us to see the grace that has been given on our behalf in our stead. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for this morning and the opportunity we have now to come to the table. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you have shown us, the suffering and death that your Son had to take on. We cannot imagine that kind of love, Lord. And yet you did it. And your Son did it willingly and gladly. And now we just come unworthy. And yet you've seen fit to offer us an invitation. So would you bless the elements here today, the bread and the wine? And would you bless those to our, our bodies and us to your service and love in the days ahead? For it makes all the difference in the world that we go out into the world and share your love with others. Bless us to that end, we ask you now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All things are ready, come to the feast.